Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Well, good morning. I want to add my welcome to Megan's. It's lovely to, to see you all this morning. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, I pray that your spirit would be at work in each of us, softening our hearts, enlarging our view of Jesus, and giving us a renewed sense of your majesty and love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the weeks following the passing of the Queen, uh, there were lots of stories being shared about her life, people recalling um, their experiences meeting her, the impact that she'd had on them. I think my favourite story was one told by Royal Protection Officer Richard Griffin. It's him on the, on the left there. And if you've heard this one, it, it's a classic. Uh, he tells a story of how he and the Queen, they were out together uh, for a picnic in the grounds of her Balmoral estate up in, uh, in Scotland. And on this day, they happened to meet two American tourists. Uh, and, and Richard says, and I'm quoting him here, and the Queen would always stop and she'd say hello. And it was clear from the moment that we stopped that they hadn't recognised the Queen. The American gentleman was telling the Queen where he, where he came from, and I could see it coming, and sure enough, he, he said to Her Majesty, and where do you live? And she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a lovely house just over the other side of the hills. And he said, how often have you been coming up here? She said, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And you could see the cogs ticking. And he said, well, if you've been coming up here for 80 years, you must have met the Queen. And quick as a flash, she said, well, I haven't, but Dickie has. He meets her regularly. Uh, And so the guy said to me, uh, that's uh, Richard, you've met the Queen, what's she like? And because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull her leg, I said, oh, she can be a bit grumpy at times, but she's got a lovely sense of humour. <laughs> the next thing I know, this guy comes around, puts his arm around my shoulder, and before I could see what was happening, he gets his camera, gives it to the Queen and says, could you take a picture of the two of us? Anyway, we swapped places and I took a picture of them with the Queen and we never let on and we waved goodbye. And Her Majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows those photographs to their friends and they work out who I am. I, uh, I love this story. Um, I mean, obviously it shows that the Queen's wonderful sense of humour, doesn't it? But just imagine what it would have been like for those two tourists when they finally realised who it was that they were speaking to. Like picture that journey of going from, oh, wasn't that a friendly old lady? To, oh my goodness, I was in the presence of Her Majesty the Queen. I was standing face to face with the reigning monarch of this land and I didn't even realise it. Well, the people in our passage today are a bit like those tourists. They encounter Jesus for themselves. But more than that, we're given a front row seat as they come face to face with his majesty, his power, his authority. 
Uh, and using the uh, our late Queen's language, we get to be a fly on the wall when, when they realise who Jesus is. And through this encounter, um, Jesus' disciples, they seriously wrestle with that question, what kind of man is this? Who is this? And I was reflecting on how to best tackle such a task of, of working through this passage. And, and the more I was reading it, the more it felt like Matthew has written this with such vivid language and, and even perhaps even some sense of unresolved questions along the way. Like he wants to bring us, the readers, right into the action. To, you know, to imagine what it would have been like as these events unfolded. So I'm going to mention a few things, contextual things to set the scene, but then I'm going to spend most of our time today actually retelling the story. I'm going to draw on a couple of extra details that we find in the other parallel gospel accounts of this, these events. Uh, and these Jewish disciples, they would have been raised steeped in the Old Testament. Uh, and so I'm going to make a few connections there as well, which is um, most likely the sort of things that they would have been thinking as well. All right, so a couple of quick context things. Geography, boat, and storm. Um, so first up, the Sea of Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee. I've, um, I've got this really cool map. You can have a look at it later. It's got all like the mountains and stuff on it. Um, anyway, the Sea of Galilee, it's up here, and Israel sort of stops about here and kind of goes down there. This part's all just desert, so they didn't include that. There's nothing happening there. Anyway, so the Sea of Galilee, it's a pretty small lake as far as lakes go. And it's surrounded by both uh, Jewish and Gentile towns. Uh, you can see an arrow in the middle showing the, uh, the ship's journey from Capernaum to the region of the Gadarenes. But here's something that perhaps you might not know, uh, or this is something that I realized more recently, is that actually the, the types of towns and harbors around are actually broken up into Jewish and Gentile things in a very um, obvious way. It's not just you know alternating around as you go. Now, on the northwest, you find the Jewish settlements, and on the southeast coast, these are all Greek or Roman towns. This is pagan Gentile territory. And so most, most Jews wouldn't even imagine entering these places. And yet this is exactly where the boat goes. So already you've got a, raising a couple of questions like, hmm, okay, interesting. Second, the boat. Um, I think this is wonderful. Archaeologists, only, only about 35 years ago actually, uh, have discovered it, in the mud of the Sea of Galilee uh, a preserved hull of a boat that is, uh, they worked out to be 2,000 years old. So this particular boat here, you can see that that's, that's all that's left, but even that is quite amazing um, for a 2,000 years old timber. <laughs> uh, this would have been in operation during the, the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, of course, we have no idea whether he actually was, was in this one or not, because I imagine there was heaps of them. But anyway, that's, uh, that's quite amazing. And someone has built a, a replica, um, a full-scale replica of it as well. So you can kind of picture what it might be like to be riding in one of these. They're not particularly large, and they've worked out that Jesus and, and 12 people would have been able to fit in there, but it would have been pretty tight um, and perhaps um, would have been a bit scary if the boat was rocking too much. The last thing, uh, the storm. Uh, again, you can have a look at this um, afterwards, but the Sea of Galilee, it's, 
it's actually um, nestled really far down. It's about 700 feet below sea level, uh, and, and it's surrounded by hills. Um, and so what actually, what happens, and even, even nowadays, you could see videos if you Google it, you know, storm on the Sea of Galilee. Um, you get the Mediterranean Sea here, where, and so you get a whole bunch of warm air that comes in over the coast. And this area here, like this is Mount Hermon, it snows around this part here. Uh, and so then the airs are coming here, and what happens is the hot air comes over here, cold air comes here, and then the cold air gets forced down straight onto this lake. And it's a fairly shallow lake. It's only about 200 feet deep, they reckon. Uh, and so there's just not a lot of mass to kind of hold it. And so it's quite common that the, these waters can get go from calm to whipped up into a frenzy uh, almost without notice, uh, which does can make it rather scary to be on there. Um, I went for a ride on the Sea of Galilee when I was there, and it was perfectly calm for me, which was, um, I'm very fortunate. Anyway, so that's just a little bit of, a little bit of context, but let's, uh, let's get on with the story. Now, as I retell this, I, I want you to, if you want to, and you don't have to, but if you want to, you're welcome to close your eyes. That might help you to focus, help us to imagine that, that we're there. Uh, maybe don't fall asleep, although Jesus did fall asleep, so um, you can do what you like. Um, I've got a couple of photos up on the, scene, uh, up on the screen that will um, set the scene as well, and I've got a couple of background sounds as well. And as we go through this story, I want you to imagine yourself right there experiencing these events for yourself. Like, what, what stands out for you? What do you notice? How does it make you feel? All right, I think that does it. Everything's tied down. We've got the boat all ready to set off. Where was it that Jesus wanted us to go? Ah, yes, to the other side of the lake, he said. Oh, he probably wants to go visit Magdala or one of those other Jewish towns on the west side. You and the other disciples, you look up the hill as Jesus makes his way down and starts to climb into the small boat. It's feeling quite full today with all of us here. Still, the, the weather seems fine, so the small lake should be pretty smooth. Peter and John, they push the boat and quickly jump in too. And as you're moving away from the shore, you get a chance to look around while the others are rowing. There's not much wind today. But you've been around here for long enough to know that sudden storms come sweeping down from those hills. Even so, today's voyage is looking pretty uneventful. Boy, Jesus looks pretty tired though. I mean, who wouldn't be exhausted after all that teaching and healing and talking to those other guys that wanted to follow him? You see him make his way to the stern of the boat and lay down on the ballast bags that are stored there. We don't need them today. I don't think we're doing any fishing. Probably as comfy a place as any to take a rest. The disciples across from you are, are murmuring about something. Apparently Jesus wants us to head to the southeast, to the region of the Gadarenes. Really? 
But that's where the that's where the Decapolis starts. Surely not. It's full of like Gentiles, like idols, swine, pagan temples, unclean food. Basically everything that's anti-Jewish. Surely they heard Jesus wrong. He can't mean the Catarines, can he? But Jesus, he's, he's just fallen asleep. So we better not wake him. Maybe he did want us to go out this way. But why? You all decide to press on towards the Gentile coast. You take a deep breath and calm your nerves, hoping this isn't a big mistake. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a furious storm comes upon the lake. Waves start sweeping upon the boat. The wind howls around you, the sky goes dark. The storm, it's getting worse, and the boat starts to roll around. Surely this storm is from God, you hear someone yell. He sent a storm to stop Jonah when he went the wrong way, and now, now it's for us. The flashes of lightning, they reveal the panic on everyone's faces. We're all going to die in this storm. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? What? He's still sleeping. How can he do that? Doesn't he care? Should we, should we wake him? Well, 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 why not? If, I mean, if he can't help us, who can? Some of the disciples, they go and wake him. Lord, save us, we yell. We're going to drown. And then it happens. He wakes up. He looks at us. He seems unhappy. But not because we've woken him, but because of something else. Jesus says to us, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Surely any people in their right mind would melt in fear in such a storm, Jesus. Jesus, he turns to say something else, loud and clear. But it's not to us, it's to the wind and the sea. What? He's telling them to shut up. This is crazy. Who does he think he is? Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and says to them, Quiet, be still. The wind dies down. The boat slows its rocking. The sea becomes very, very still. It's completely calm. You feel the warmth from the sun shining through the clearing clouds. Your dripping clothes begin to dry out. What just happened? A few seconds ago, we were all about to perish in that storm. But Yahweh, our Lord, mighty creator and deliverer, he saved us. I'm sure of it. In the quiet, quiet stillness of the boat, you cast your mind back to the scriptures. You recall reciting the Psalms in the synagogue 
You remember Psalm 104. You clothed the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. But at your rebuke, Lord, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. What about Psalm 107? Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. Rebuking the sea, stilling the waves, calming the storm to a whisper. It is God Almighty who does these things. Praise the Lord our God for saving us today. But I just saw Jesus doing these same things. Jesus rebuking the sea. Jesus stealing the waves. Jesus calming the storm to a whisper. He showed me a power that we all associate with the person and work of God himself. Who who is this man? What kind of person is he? I mean, we know he's, he's a good teacher. He can heal. We know he has come from God. Is it possible that it's God himself? And you look around the boat and you see the other disciples they have the same astonished look on their faces too. One of them says with amazement, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What if, maybe, just, just maybe, could, could this incredible teacher from Nazareth actually be God in the flesh? You keep pondering in amazement at what just happened. Suddenly you feel a bump as the boat safely reaches the shore. You look around as you climb out of the boat, still feeling a bit damp. You haven't been here before. This is Gentile territory. This is unclean land. We are Jews. Why, why are we even here? And what's, what's that smell? Oh, I must be from that herd of, herd of pigs over there. You never find that back home. Wait, wait, no. Oh, is this, is this a graveyard? Are those tombs? Someone's shouting. It's not Jesus this time. Suddenly two figures, they, they climb out from behind the tombs and start walking towards us. Are they, are they people? 
They, they look disgusting. Do they even have clothes on? Yuck. They must be what I'm smelling. They look angry. And they're coming this way. Maybe these are the crazy men that your, ma- your mate claimed that he saw once. They're possessed by demons, according to him. No one could chain them and no one could pass by without getting attacked. Well, whether it's them or not, they've nearly reached us. Oh no, we're going to get attacked too. Where's Jesus? Oh, there he is. He's just standing there, looking at them as they, as, as they hobble their way towards him. Maybe that's why Jesus brought us to this unholy place. Maybe. It looks like he's waiting to talk with them. Well, well, they certainly want to talk to him. They're still yelling at Jesus. What are they saying? Only, only it sounds like it's not the men doing the shouting, but, but, but strange voices inside them speaking or, or something like that. Maybe your mate was right after all. Maybe there's some, some dark spiritual beings controlling them. Maybe they are demon-possessed. But what are they saying to Jesus? You hear the voices say to Jesus, What do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Wait, did did they just call Jesus Son of God? According to Jesus, when he was telling us, that's the same title that the devil himself called Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. Do, do, these, do these forces, do these spirits know something about Jesus that we don't? After all, when us, us Jews claim to be the child of someone, it's the same as saying that we're equal to them. When Jesus was baptized by John last year, That voice from heaven said to him, This is my son whom I love. Jesus often calls God his own father. He said that a lot in that sermon a couple of days ago. Maybe these demons are right after all. But could this Jesus really somehow be God himself? The spirits are saying something else to Jesus. They're they're begging, pleading with Jesus to be sent into that herd of pigs over there. I I guess that makes sense. Uh, Unclean spirits with unclean animals. But, But only God has that kind of authority over the spirits. And these spirits, they're submitting to Jesus. They need his permission As you keep pondering what's going on, you hear Jesus say to the spirits, Go! And all of a sudden, you look over and they're stamping and snorting. What's going on? Something's happening to those pigs. Did Jesus do this? 
over the steep hill they go and down into the lake, every single one of them. This is getting too scary for words. What is going on? The farmers in charge of the pigs are terrified. No surprise there. You see them run off, back to the town. No one's going to believe what they say. And even if they did, surely they will be just as terrified as their farmers. I saw it with my own eyes, and I can barely make sense of what's happening. What on earth just happened? Well, back in the scroll of Job, the devil needed permission from God before he could lay a hand on Job. And now these spirits begged Jesus for permission. What kind of a man is this? Even the spiritual world obeys him. As you're pondering, you hear a new voice. It's not Jesus or the spirits. It's one of the crazy men from the tombs. Only he's not crazy anymore. Neither of them are. They're both a bit surprised, a bit shaken up, obviously. But nothing can take those smiles off their faces. We give them some of our spare clothes. They're still a bit damp from that storm, but I don't think they mind. They've encountered the love and power of Jesus, and life will never be the same. Jesus calls us over. He says it's time we made our way back over to Capernaum. The townspeople are coming back and it's time to leave. As we get the boat ready, one of the men that Jesus healed comes over. He wants to come with us. Jesus said to him, return home and tell how much God has done for you. And with a spring in his step, off he goes, telling everyone he passes what Jesus has done for him. And as the boat pulls away from the shore, back north, again you and the disciples are left with, with, with this sense, what kind of man is this Jesus? Is it possible that we've been sitting in a boat with God himself. Well, feel free to open your eyes again. I uh, wonder how that was for you. Uh, we can uh, feel free to chat about it after the service if you'd like. But more to the point, I, I wonder if your view of Jesus is big enough. They may be like these disciples. Do you see Jesus as someone perhaps inspirational, maybe a, a good guy? I think most people you pass go, oh, Jesus, he was a good guy. Or maybe he was compelling in some way, but, but maybe you're yet to fully accept his claim to be the fullness of God himself. Like Gwyn reflected the other week, maybe you've said yes to Jesus as, as your saviour, 
but you're yet to say yes to Jesus to be your Lord, to be your, your master, to be your king. You know, the, 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 the yes where you say, you, Jesus, you have authority over everything and over my life, and I'm making room for you in my life. Well, whatever your view of Jesus is, through these encounters, Matthew wants us to enlarge our view of who Jesus is. Matthew wants us to go deeper. He wants us to be left speechless, breathless at the, at the tremendous, breathtaking enormity of who this Jesus is. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. My hope and prayer today is that every one of us here would prepare room for Jesus, particularly as we approach Christmas. As Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 1, he said, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And he now offers to come and dwell in each of us by his Spirit. And so may we each make room for Jesus in our heart. Amen.